Thank you, Nick and Sarah. So we're going to keep on trekking through the catechisms. We are at question 30, which is, uh, what is faith in Jesus Christ? I'll read the question uh, alone, and then together we will recite the answer. Question 30, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the true uh, everything that God has revealed in his word, trusting in him and also receiving and resting on him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I, we pray, I pray that, uh, that you would satisfy us, that you would satisfy us through the teaching of your word, through the singing of your word, through your gathering together with believers, Lord, through your creation, through our relationships, that you would both reveal yourself and satisfy us. Father, we know that your word is powerful. Your word, it, it, it breaks things open. It reveals the intentions of our heart. It's living and active. It's sharp and pointed, Lord, and we need it. We are prone to wonder and we are prone to sin, and we need your word to bring us back, to bring us back to our knees in need of you. And I pray that you would do that through our gathering together this morning, through our singing and, uh, and through the teaching of your word. Lord, I pray today as Kevin teaches, Lord, we know that your minor prophets are powerful. We know that they have withstood the test of time and are perfect and infallible because our hearts need the message that they tell us. And so help us, God, to uh, help us to, to reveal in us, Lord, what we need to see, point us to your Son, and help us be conformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. So three to five-year-olds are going to go with uh, me and Kaylee. I feel like I'm giving a pep talk and then leading the team out to the field. So... Uh, Our scripture reading this morning is going to be from the book Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and then chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 1. This is the word of God. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence? And you will not save. Why do you make me, make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contentions arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. 
They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. And in chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive oil fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thank you, Lynn. Uh, you know, one of the things I've enjoyed about going through the Minor Prophets and studying them is that they are so utterly God-centered. It seems like for most of these prophets, the main idea is that Israel or Judah, they're just about to get it. They're, they're being punished for, for turning away from Yahweh. But, but it wouldn't be enough just to say that the minor prophets are about God punishing his people. There, there's more going on than that. Uh, one thing we're seeing is God being faithful to promise he, he made, the promises he made to Moses. We, we've read these in Deuteronomy, and he's faithfully fulfilling those things. So the minor prophets are also about God's faithfulness. And it isn't just his faithfulness that we see at work. We see many of his characteristics kind of emerge, like his mercy, compassion, his patience alongside with the, the justice that we see. In, in Exodus 33, Yahweh reveals his glory to Moses. And there was a proclamation as his glory was being revealed to Moses. And this was the proclamation. It said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. There's a lot about who our God is in that proclamation. And I think the minor prophets really unpack that very well. And, and what we, we see here is that uh, God does not clear the guilty and that the, the sins of the fathers are, do visit later generations. But at the same time, we see that he is merciful, gracious, and slow to anger. And in all these situations, it isn't just that Israel had a bad year and so God just smacks them right when they get out of line. That's not the case. They were really, really bad for a really long time. And so he actually really was slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness to them. And so we see this tension of how God is uh, forgiving iniquity and by no means clearing the guilty. We see this kind of mingled together when we look at the minor prophets. So, so the, the minor prophets are all about what, it, what God is doing. Like I said, they're, they're God-centered and it's often to the shock and surprise of his people who usually consider themselves to be the good guys, right? Israel and Judah, they're thinking, we're the good guys. We're God's people. 
And these prophets treat them like the bad guys. And, and we're kind of the same way. You know, usually we probably approach the, the, the Bible, we approach God as if we're the good guys. You know, one of the ways this, this plays out often is in the story about David and Goliath. This, I think all of our default setting for David and Goliath is this. I'm David, and whatever our problem I have is Goliath. And so we read this thing, and it's just like, okay, I'm David, and I can, I can tackle whatever challenge comes my way. And, and so if we take that kind of self-centered approach to the minor prophets, we're going to be left scratching our head saying we don't get it or really don't like the minor prophets. And that would make sense if we have a self-centered approach to the Bible, to who God is, because like I said earlier, the minor prophets are so utterly God-centered. So it would be like, the way it would almost, it could feel when you read the minor prophets that are so God-centered, it would be like uh, getting a new TV and you get the, the, the manual out to figure out how to turn the thing on. And it says, this TV is fantastic. It's got a big screen. It's got curved edges so you can see from all over the room. It can plug in. It's just like, hey, I just want to turn it on. I want to get this thing to work for me. And, and that's often how we approach God in the scriptures. I don't care about how great he is. I just want to get him to work for me. I want to get things to work out. And the minor prophets just don't leave room for that. It, they seem crazy when we read it because for us, crazy is God-centered. And what makes sense to us is something self-centered. So when we look at the minor prophets, we understand who, more of who God is, more of how he works. And look, the, the more we understand how God works and the way he operates in the world, really the more service that will be to us. And so it, it's not that it's irrelevant to us and that we should never you know, insert ourselves anywhere into the scriptures. It's just our tendencies to put ourselves too close to the center. This is a book about Yahweh, Right. And, and we, we, are, we are a part of the story, and there's a place, but our tendency is to get to the center, and I think the minor prophets help to scoot us out. So, um, and, and one of the things that we see as we, as we study this, as we see, and especially in uh, Habakkuk, and we'll see this, is that God is operating in ways that don't make sense to us. And, and if he asked us if we, for approval or disapproval on the way he's working in the world, we would probably give disapproval. This is not the way things ought to be done. Like, for example, 2020 kind of felt like a dumpster fire for a lot of us, you know. But things went totally according to plan in 2020. I was talking to a buddy of mine a couple weeks ago, and his, his 2020 was more of 2019. That was, it was a nightmare for him. He was like, 2020 wasn't too bad. 2019 was really bad. For, for some of y'all, 2021 is going to be the nightmare year, or 2022, or 2030, or who knows. But we're all going to have these times where it just seems like, man, things, things seem so bad. I think if God revealed why he was doing this, I don't even think I'd buy it. I don't think I'd like it. But what we see here in the minor prophet is that God is working, and we will do well that he, to know that he is working beyond the way that we see things and in ways that are good and right when we might, think they, we might not think they are good and right. So as we look at Habakkuk today, I want to consider two things. First, I want to consider the interaction between the Lord and Habakkuk. And then secondly, I want to consider the Lord in us as it relates to what we see in Habakkuk. So first, the Lord and Habakkuk. Uh, I should give you a quick outline of the book. It's, it's pretty simple. Habakkuk makes two complaints. The Lord responds to those two complaints, and then it ends in chapter 3 with a prayer that is also a song. 
So that's your outline. That's your whole book. So let's start looking at verse two, uh, excuse me, chapter one, verse two and two and four. And we're going to be looking a lot throughout this book. So get your Bibles or your device, whatever you follow along. But this is chapter one, verse two through four. Habakkuk says this, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk is frustrated because the people that make up his nation are just the worst. It's bad everywhere. They're, vi- they're violent. There is strife and contention. The, the law is paralyzed. It's like the law, like law didn't even exist. It just seems powerless. And there's no justice being done <laughs> except for when justice is attempted, it goes forth perverted. And doesn't that sound like our day? There's a lack of justice on one hand, and then when someone tries to, to do it, it's all perverted. It's all twisted and messed up. So Habakkuk is frustrated that God seems to ignore his cries for help. Like, this is things are going poorly. I'm asking God to take notice, and he seems silent. It's like he just idly looks at the mess all these people are making. People are being terrible, and God is doing nothing about it. And this is supposedly his people. So he's frustrated. He makes his complaint to God, but his complaint does not go unheard. Look at how he responds in verse five through nine. This is the Lord speaking to Habakkuk. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. In other words, Habakkuk makes a complaint that God is not doing anything about all the terrible stuff that's been happening in Judah. And what does the Lord say? He says, you wouldn't believe me if I told you what I'm about to do. It's going to get ugly for God's people. It's going to get ugly for Judah. God is raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, and they're going to devour Judah. Now, this doesn't quite sit right with Habakkuk. Judah is bad and deserves to be punished, but the Babylonians are way worse than Judah. And so this leads to Habakkuk's second complaint. So look at chapter 1, verse 12 through 17. Habakkuk says this, Are you not from everlasting O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you oddly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? 
You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out of his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So Habakkuk is frustrated here. And he's saying, he's saying, aren't you eternal? Aren't you infinite, God? Aren't you holy? And look, that's not a, a genuine question. It, it's more of a frustrated accusation. Aren't you a holy God? Why would you take a wicked nation to wipe out? You know, we're, we're doing bad, but why would you use Babylon? So Habakkuk's wondering, what kind of God punishes one nation with another nation that is far far worth. It just doesn't seem just. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem good. And and it seems to Habakkuk that if God is going to punish one nation with another, it should be Judah taking out Babylon. There's at least two reasons for this. One, Babylon's way worse. And two, Judah belongs to God. They're God's chosen people. So it just doesn't sit well with Habakkuk like it probably wouldn't sit well with us. Let's say as a church, we came under God's discipline, the Lord's discipline. And let's say our offense was this, that we weren't generous enough with the poor. And so Lord's, the Lord's going to discipline us. And let's say somehow it's revealed to us that, that we have not been as generous as a church as we should have been. And so the way, the form of discipline is going to take, let's say um, because our church taught that homosexuality was sin, we got accused or charged of, of a hate crime. And so we were sued for a hate crime because we said homosexuality was a sin. And let's say we lose the case. And let's say beyond that, we, we, we lose the building because of the case. And then beyond that, let's say this, this church building becomes the LGBTQ community center of Starkville. And we're thinking like, well, maybe we should have given more money, but gosh, it seems like, like all, there, there's, it seems like their offense is worse than our offense. And so why are you using these people to punish us? And it just would, it would not make sense to us, and it didn't make sense to Habakkuk. It would seem unfair. It would seem like we were a little wrong, but they were more wrong. So Habakkuk is frustrated, but the Lord again responds to him. Look at uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. It says this, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run, who reads it? For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. The Lord tells them to write it down so that they're not going to forget this. So they'll remember Babylon will pay for their cruelty. God will deal with Babylon. He's dealing with Judah right now. He will deal with Babylon, and he does. We know this from history. But they're going to have to wait. It's coming for the appointed time, but they're going to have to wait for it. And and the rest of chapter 2 is about how things are going to eventually go really bad for Babylon. The Lord Yahweh pronounces five woes on Babylon. That's really bad news for them. So while God does use a nation worse than them to discipline Judah, 
Babylon will eventually face God themselves, and it will go really bad for Babylon. Habakkuk is operating on a linear timeline, the way all of us do. There's today, the next day, the next month, the next year. We all operate like that. God does not. You must understand that God doesn't operate on our time, on on a linear time level. He sees beyond that. He's not limited to time as we are. And so often we think a thing is not right because we view it linearly. But God is outside of that. And so the issue with Babylon, there's not an issue of, of, of a lack of justice. There's an issue of Habakkuk not seeing the timeline. And Habakkuk's having a hard time getting that. Well, after chapter 2, you have chapter 3, which is both a prayer and a song. And we know it's a prayer because it says prayer of Habakkuk. And we know it's a song because when it says according to Shiganoth, that's a musical term. And if you skim through chapter 3, you'll also see several selahs, S-E-L-A-H-S, scattered throughout. Another musical term that you'll see in the Psalms. And then at, at the very end, as you saw, it was read. Uh, it ends with this line, to the choir master with stringed instruments. So this is a prayer and a song. And in chapter 3, Habakkuk recalls the, the mighty works of God. In his prayer, in his song, he is recalling the mighty works of God when he defeated evil nations, when he protected his people. And then in verse 17 to 19, we see Habakkuk uh, has stored up his hope in God as he remembered the works of God. And he says this, and these are a few lines that are worth all of us memorizing. It says this, Habakkuk 3, 17 and 19, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation." God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. So Habakkuk comes to a place where he accepts that whatever God does is right and that his hope should be located in him, not in how bad Judah is, not in how it doesn't seem right that Babylon's taken him on, not in his circumstances, but his hope should be located in Yahweh. So that is the Lord and Habakkuk. That's their interaction. Now, let's consider how this ancient moment travels to Starkville, Mississippi in 2021 and is a word for us. So let's consider the Lord and us. A quick summary with Habakkuk. Habakkuk's in a bad situation. He complains to God. He doesn't like what God is doing. It doesn't seem right to him. And God tells him to wait that everything will be worked out according to its appointed time. And Habakkuk finds hope and strength in that. An important verse in all this is Habakkuk 2, 4. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So when we're talking about the one whose soul is puffed up, that's not upright within him, we're talking about Babylon. He's going to take out Judah. And then he contrasts that to the righteous. And the righteous will live by faith. What's going to set Habakkuk apart right now 
is that he's going to locate his hope in what is unseen, his faith in God, and not in how bad Judah is and not how it seems terrible that Babylon is going to take him out. So his hope will lie not in what is immediate or imminent, but rather is going to be placed in God. And this is what makes people righteous in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In, in, uh, with Abraham in Genesis 15, 6, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And faith is what makes us right in the New Testament. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That is why Paul referred to Habakkuk twice in the New Testament. In uh, his letters to the Romans and Galatians. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, he writes this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, and the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And that original wording can be, can be difficult, but it seems best summarized is just begins and ends with faith. From start to finish, through and through, it's all about faith. The Christian life, the, the, the experience with Yahweh is all about locating your faith in Him and not in the immediate circumstances. And Paul brings this up in his letter to the Galatians, arguing that we, uh, we are not justified or become right with God by keeping the law or being good enough, but instead by faith. So he quotes again, Habakkuk 2.4. So Paul's trying to think, how can I communicate the gospel? Well, that we're saved by faith, not by works. I'm going to Habakkuk, where he had to see what was not there. He said in Galatians 3.11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So for Habakkuk, he was to live his days with all the madness around him, with the chaos of how bad Judah had become, with the, the just absurdness that Babylon's going to come in and take him out. He's going to have to work through all of that, trusting God, actively putting his hope in him, because everything in the immediate is just a dumpster fire. It's just bad. And this is a picture of how the gospel works. So Paul's trying to proclaim the gospel. He goes to Habakkuk. Yeah, you, you got to go outside of what you see and trust in what is unseen. You know, Imagine you're in a boat, and it's a, there's a storm on the water. And then you see another boat, and it's kind of nearby, and they're getting rocked around too. And then you say, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll tie together. Maybe that'll help. And you tie together, and you end up banging into each other. And then maybe if one sinks, the other goes down with it. Y'all, that's kind of generally how we operate. Like, we, we put our hope in things that aren't, aren't stable, that aren't, aren't worth counting on. You know, you... I think a lot of ways this can happen when, when this happens with, with, in a marriage where two spouses will put their hope in each other. And, oh, man, it's just bound to be a huge mess. No spouse can, can handle that. But it's not just with marriage. It's anything else you might put your hope in. Whatever you put your hope in, if it's not God, it's going to come back around and bite you, and it's going to sting. And wouldn't it be better just to let an anchor down? to go to the bottom to keep you stable, something below the surface to keep you stable? Well, that is what our God is like. That is what it's like to hope in Him, to put an anchor below the surface to keep you stable. And, and you know what makes it really meaningful to, to do this, to have hope in God in this such a way? 
it's meaningful because when life doesn't make sense, when life seems to be a big mess, even when it's partially your fault or totally your fault, maybe in that moment, by God's grace, maybe in that moment, when you're ready to bang your head up against the wall and and shake your fist at God, maybe instead you might say this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And do you remember that that's from chapter three? Do y'all remember what chapter three is? It's a prayer and a song. There's instruction for us there. And isn't that what a lot of our songs are? Prayers? We need songs that help us to set our hope in God when all other hopes fail and flee. We need to pray in such a way that our hope is set in God, and we also need to sing in such a way that our hope is set in God. Because all day, every day, something is calling us to put our hope in it. And it's different for all of us, I'm sure. It might be work, it might be family or friendships, money, success, health. And if we don't recalibrate our hearts with prayer And with singing, we will set our hope in foolish things. Understandable, but foolish things. So, may God help us to hope in Him, to wait on Him, and to rejoice and find strength in Him, no matter what may come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for this word from Habakkuk as we consider what he experienced in his day, though different from our experience. Our God is the same. You are the same. You do not change. And he needed to have his heart recalibrated to trust in you rather than the mess of Judah or the threat of Babylon. And we have the same thing. We have current issues that bother us, that bring us down. And we have imminent threats, things that we are not looking forward to that make make us anxious. We need to set our hope in God. And would you help us that when those times come, we might be able to say with Habakkuk, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Would you help us to do that? And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us?